High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, Peter Parker, Peter B. Parker, Spider-Gwyn, Spider-Ham, Spider-Noir, and a special shout-out to Miles Morales. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where we and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school's still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment and i would like to see the results your homework of course is to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, spotify and stitcher and while you're there leave us a review specifically talking about apple Podcasts. but i found out you can do that on spotify now so give us a five star rating or a positive review there or tell a friend about all the great things we do here on High School Slumber Party. That's how you can spread the message of what we do on this show. And what we've been doing on this show this month is been talking Spider-Man films for Spider-Month. Spider-Man No Way Home is already out, and guess what? I watched it, but we're not going to have that episode yet. We're going to give you a little bit of time to watch the movie over the weekend hopefully we'll have that episode on monday today we're continuing our spider-man series by talking into the spider-verse so your homework was to watch into the spider-verse but also to catch up on all our great spider-man content here on the cage club podcast network that's cage that's cage club.me mike manzi's been my co-host on that and he of course is our guest today i really can't wait for you to hear this episode because we've so <laughs> Whoa, whoa, the bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. Come on, guys, you're seniors. You know better by now. Anyway, we have so much fun talking Into the Spider-Verse. Kind of a surprise hit when it came out, at least in my mind. But one that a lot of people say is the best Spider-Man film? You be the judge. Or you can listen to this episode that's coming up. So pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother to me Brian's. Because we're about to get our party on. Let's take it away with, oh, I love this song. I love this scene from Into the Spider-Verse where it plays What's Up Danger by Black Way and Black Caviar. <laughs> love that name. Class dismissed. Thermometers, 2,000 surrounding us, travel 2,000 kilometers to hang out with us. What's up, danger? What's up, danger? Hey, didn't know they doubted us. Makes it that more marvelous. Sign them up, cause I'm in this vibe, and I get synonymous. What's up, danger? Hey, don't be a stranger. Cause I like high chances that I might lose. I like it all on the edge, just like you. Hey, I like tall buildings so I can leap off of them. I go hard with it, no matter how dark it is. I'm insane. 
toes I could keep the world balanced on my nose I had a slumber party with all my foes Now I wear them like a badge on all my clothes If I'm crazy, I'm on my own If I'm waiting, it's on my phone If I sound lazy, just ignore my tone Cause I'm always gonna Micah, answer when you We're getting close phone, to that time, we're getting close to Spider-Man No Way Home I don't know if everyone predicted for us to do this film on here, but I think it's a necessary one just because like where it takes us. But before that, Mike, Spider-Manzy, introduce yourself. Sorry, I almost <laughs> gave away your secret identity. Yeah, so uh, what do they say in this movie? Um, let's take it from the top. Is that one of the things they say um, every time there's a new Spider-Man? But uh, <laughs> Michael J. Manzy, RHS, <laughs> class of 1997. What up? Go Maroons. Thwip, <laughs> Glad to have you on with us. Of course, today we're talking Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse from 2018. Quickly, my history with the movie as we kind of explore the cinematic Spider-Verse on High School Slumber Party these days. But my history with the movie is, honestly, I saw this movie once. I thought it was really good. Never really did a deep dive or paid attention a lot. I have a little bit of an animated bias. I'll admit that, right? Like, I don't really seek out animated films terribly often. Unless it's Goofy Movie. Well, Goofy Movie, but yeah, like, we've done Goofy Movie. I think we've done two or three more animated films. I can't think of them off the top of my head. I hear yeah. I'm not really... I mean, I feel like they're pretty absent from the network in general, unfortunately. <laughs> well, the Fast and Furious crew did a lot of spy racers, so... Yeah, and we did some Toy Stories... Oh yeah, uh, Toy Stories, I forgot, on, on Hanks and stuff. But yeah, that is definitely a uh, a blind spot in my film oeuvre. I can't talk to you about Spirited Away or things like that, you know what I mean? Ralph Bakshi, does that ring a bell? <laughs> Not really. Uh, I, know, <laughs> I know Don Bluth. Okay, yeah. I just know things from childhood, right? So like, when this movie was coming out, I was really confused, because I'm like, didn't they just agree that there was one spider-man and it's tom holland and that's what we're gonna move forward with you know so i wasn't really that even into watching it. everyone said it was good you know i watched it once loved it but haven't revisited since so mike as we continue the journey the spider-man journey on spider month what is yes. your history with Into the spider-verse right so i mean you know i think like i mentioned on the very first episode of this spider retrospective um uh, my introduction to spider-man was through cartoons spider-man and his amazing friends and i love cartoons i mean even to this day and uh, or animation i should say you know okay okay to cartoons. be fair just to clarify tv cartoons i have i have a lot of history with right it's film mm. that is something that is never really not never you know yeah as an adult I don't really watch a lot of animated films, so sorry, continue. Right, right. No, I understand, yeah, and, and there weren't many growing up. Like, I existed as a child in the time where Disney was sort of taking time off, and then The Little Mermaid <laughs> and all that kind of stuff happened. And I did get into anime as a teenager, and I'm still into that as well, but that's like a whole other universe compared to Disney, I feel. But getting to, like, the Spider-Verse uh, kind of stuff... I, my first introduction to this might have been in that Spider-Man cartoon that you're watching now, Brian. But ultimately, mm. there was a comic book series into the Spider-Verse about maybe a decade ago. And I was just getting back into collecting at that time or reading comics. I've never really been a big collector, quote unquote, but just got back into reading. And I was like, 
you know, I'll check out this Spider-Verse thing. I ended up reading the entire series. And wow. uh, that's <laughs> introduced Spider-Gwen and, uh, you know, everybody was there. Um, as a child, I was really into the Spider-Ham comic books. <laughs> but, like, I remember, like, Spider-Man Noir popping up and everything. So when the movie was announced, I was extremely excited I was a little, I was a little befuddled though, because as well, I was like, "This is a big undertaking." However, I thought it was very clever to do it in an animated film. Like, it's the perfect way to sort of explain what's happening. It's very sort of complex for children. The kind of multiverse thing idea, maybe. So, like, to give it this visual graphic sort of delineation between universes that characters look different depending on where they're drawn from kind of idea like i think it really helped explain the concept extremely well and i was ex super excited when i first saw this trailer uh just the, the look of it and everything um i saw it twice in theaters i saw an early showing with joey actually and then i took my nephew he won a screening for cub scouts so we went to that screening which was pretty cool and I've watched it a bunch of times, you know, I've really enjoyed this movie. I like it a lot and I'm looking forward to talking more about it. Yeah. I mean, on this watch, I was like, oh my God, I forgot. Or maybe I just didn't appreciate how just good it is. So we have been reading the back of the DVD because we've just been talking so much Spider-Man that we've kind of forgotten. Then I was like, whatever. I do want to read it for this because I really do feel as wildly successful as this film was. It was ignored by a lot of the cinematic people, MCU people. I know a lot of them because mm -hmm. it's not MCU or even like you know it, it's not a, a person. You're not it's not a hot MTV guy like a Tobey Maguire or an Andrew Garfield playing Peter Parker on screen. But there's a whole subsector of people that I'm going to talk about who were drawn into this film more than even the films we talk about. So here goes back of the DVD for. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, the creative minds behind the Lego Movie and 21 Jump Street, bring their unique talents to a fresh version of a different Spider-Man universe with a groundbreaking visual style that's the first of its kind. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse introduces Brooklyn teen Miles Morales and the limitless potential of the Spider-Verse, where more than one can wear the mask. Really general, so I shouldn't have even read that, to be honest with you. Um... But I think it's very, very telling. They took a huge risk with this. This could have been a flop. Yeah. I remember, I, I, what's his name? I think it was Dave Filoni who even did it. When they first started releasing like the Clone Wars, Star Wars stuff. Like Clone Wars, everyone loves Clone Wars now, right? But like when they released the first movie, especially, and early in the Cartoon Network run, it was just for the nerds. No mainstream people were watching that shit, right? And there was a big fear. Now with Disney Plus and the revitalization of Star Wars, like that's cool again, or even cool for the first time for a lot of people. I could imagine a world where this bombs and it's just really, really sad. Does that make sense? <laughs> if you don't do this right, it could really flop. Like where I pretty much come down on it is like you couldn't have done this with any other character but Spider-Man at the time. And I'll explain by what I mean. I, I'm mostly talking about the visual style of the film like mm. the type of animation like it's a very unique road that they went down uh for this movie in particular like it's not it's not pixar like right it's not disney-esque it's 
not anime like it's its own sort of unique thing it looks like a comic book jumped off the page or you're reading a comic and and so like i think that was sort of the idea right is like let's use spider-man to introduce the public into sort of a new dimension or way of like entertainment actually you know like there's a lot of this graphic style influence from like advertising or underground comics and a lot of it deserved its due and i think lord and miller and all the other creative producers involved took a big chance maybe but like honestly like again like i think like you could either do this with like spider-man or star wars or something you have to do it someone big like it almost reminds me of the animatrix in a way you know where you need this huge property for everybody to sort of go well i'll give it a try or what they're doing now with star wars on disney plus with the anime on there giving the japanese creators free reign to do whatever it's like introducing that audience to a whole other you know corner of the animation so you know on the one hand i you know i think (laughs) i think it worked better because it was spider-man you know and maybe that's kind of like uh, safety net or, or something like that but ultimately yeah i think if this was just some kind of original property from lord and miller that no one had ever heard of and they tried to do this with like you know their own type of hero or something it might have bombed you know it might have just been a spectacular failure or something to that magnitude or or only kind of like reached its audience a decade later sort of thing but um i don't know i felt very lucky to be able to have this movie to be quite honest because it was such so fresh and such a different type of animation that i hadn't really seen before at least in a major movie production but you're right mike spider-man though is perfect for this i could see them doing something similar with batman uh because there's been so many um iterations there's been just so many different styles of Batman. It's similar uh, yeah. trajectory. However, Batman doesn't have the tone that that Spider Man can have, especially like being a teen, right? Uh, I know they've tried to like cast a similar tone with like Teen Titans stuff, but again, it's still not the same. This movie goes through the history of Spider Man in an, such an amazing way. It's like meta at the same time as it's realistic. It's so amazing. And the the subset that I wanted to mention here, uh, my cousin Pumpkin got pretty tied up, uh, but he wanted to come on because this is his favorite Spider-Man movie, and it's not even close. He he doesn't even think he's seen all the Spider-Mans. I was talking to him about it. And he's not a comic guy, like reading comic books necessarily. There's a whole video game Spider-Man universe and Spider-Man fans from the video game series that I'm not really a gamer i don't know anything about it but from what i read and from what he's told me the movie also gives a big nod to that subset as well which which i think is so awesome right like you're bringing spider-man fans from different worlds together i think for me i relate to like peter b parker right like and he's supposed to be like our movie one a little bit um he's bringing us into like the more mainstream spider-man universe if you're into the comics, you're definitely going to be into this. And if you're into the video games, apparently... I know Miles is featured in, in the video games, too. I don't know. It's just This is just like a... This is fan service done right. Again, we use fan service as a dirty, mm-hmm. dirty term these days, and it really shouldn't be. And the reason, again, I'm so excited and we're talking about it is... I think No Way Home 
is going to attempt to do this, not on the animation level, obviously, but it's sort right. of attempting to do this on some level. And I hoped the No Way Home crew watched Spider-Verse and just like took some notes on the best ways you can do this. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like there's no doubt that they're trying to establish the live-action Spider-Verse at this point between you know Sony and Marvel and all that kind of thing. But it's just really great that they could do this kind of experimental stuff and get away with it. And I don't know, I kind of almost feel like they like snuck it in not really snuck it in or anything but it was kind of kind of like not on anyone else's mind you know and then you see it and it's like oh yeah like it kind of makes sense like there's nothing like completely foreign about what you're looking at and yet there's something so entirely fresh about it but yeah there's so much going on in this movie um as far as like nods and easter eggs and call outs as far as the video game i did end up buying the playstation 4 video game and played through uh, as much as i could you know at my age like i just my attention span and all that kind of thing like other stuff going on like i made it pretty far though and yeah like not only is this movie sort of like like paying homage to it but even in the trailer of the new live action movie you can see like the name of this place called feast which is sort of like a shelter and that's directly from the video game so oh really there's all kinds of things merging and like universes colliding and it's the end of independent george is what i'm trying to say (laughs) there are a lot of production notes for this film we cannot get into all of them a lot of them have to do with the animation again that is not my strong suit I will say, though, in relevance to what we've been talking about on High School Slumber Party specifically, I found it interesting that the idea of this was also in the Sony hack emails. So they had talked about, yeah, one of the ways that they could essentially extend this Spider-Man license and keep making money off of it was to create this animated, an animated universe for Spider-Man as well. You said it on either The Amazing Spider-Man or The Amazing Spider-Man 2. I can't remember which one. This is all Sony had, right? So they were trying to see how much can we get out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really nice, too, for them to have, like, the kind of idea to be like, well, right now we can't really do much with live-action Spider-Man because, like, he's tied up with Marvel kind of things like let's do stuff with animated spider-man right like let's explore that area and like look what they did in one movie they could spin this off into like five different feature films you could have like the spider-man noir feature or whatever or you know saturday morning cartoons or however the disney plus series Mm -hmm. so like they're just always kind of thinking like it's so funny and also brian i just have to sneak this in i remember also in the in the hack they wanted um spider-man to like have it a tumbler or something like that oh my and God. then at the and then at the end of no way home he's swinging through the city and he's got like a um instagram account and i think i like leaned over and like punched you in the arm <laughs> like he's oh. got the instagram account oh like, yeah <laughs> <laughs> i got that in there um so yeah it's just like all these ideas i mean you gotta I think like it had to have started early for an animated movie like they had to you know, this probably took three years to make. So For sure. All that stuff coming out, leaking through, is already sort of wheels in motion on some of it. There were people who said that if the Marvel thing went, like, fell through, and they just really didn't have a plan for what was next with live-action Spider-Man, that uh, Amy Pascal, who is, you know, the great, great Sony producer, 
at the time, one of really, if there's like a Spider-Man Hall of Fame, she's in it. She was like, this could rejuvenate the Spider-Man character. And think about it, if the Tom Holland thing isn't around, this is the Spider-Man people are probably looking forward to for mm-hmm. future sequels, and you, and you can't blame them. Immediately, immediately, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller were the ones discussed, like, they're the people who can bring this to life. What's your history with Phil Lord and Chris Miller? Um, what did they do, Lego Movie? Was that? Yeah, was I mean, that? yeah. So I think they got on a lot of people's radar for the Lego Movie, which was a lot better than probably it should have been, you know? Loved it. Loved it at the time. But what are some of their other... What was before that? Because I want to talk... I can talk about after that, but I'm curious before that. Around that time, they did 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street. Okay. Which, you know, love their humor. For me, they really got on my radar way early on. Uh, again, I'm not, an, I'm not a Japanese anime guy, so my favorite favorite animated tv show of all time is clone high mtv series you know based on clone teenagers of famous people i loved that show one season we should have gotten more apparently they're gonna make more episodes i don't know we'll see regardless that one season is chef's kiss to me you gotta cover that season man it's yeah I, i don't do tv shows but maybe i don't know it's only one season you know i could understand if it was ongoing or six seasons or something but you could do it. Anyway, that's awesome. They did that with Bill Lawrence, who done a ton of stuff, but now Bill Lawrence is like one of the main people behind Ted Lasso, which is a huge hit, right? When I see people from this little obscure thing that I would watch new episodes of become huge names today, when they were not huge names then, I get very happy. I feel very validated in the humor I enjoy. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's how they got on my radar. Do you know them from anything else i guess I don't know. uh yeah well first i want to say like that's i didn't know that their roots were in anim- in animation mm-hmm. so that's really cool that they're on this with animation too i think i heard they also wrote on maybe a sitcom uh at some point or something but uh after their kind of like coming out big success and everything they were given a star wars movie oh i forgot about that yeah they were uh they were the first to helm solo a star wars story and you know, there's a whole notorious story behind that. It could be, I can't wait to see that documentary on <laughs> Disney Plus. But it was eventually taken away from them because, you know, they're unorthodox style, or apparently they're, you know, they were shooting it like a 21 Jump Street movie with like lots of improv, multiple takes, just like. And, and from what I'll tell you, like watching the, watching the final product, you could kind of see where their footage um kind of uh survived right and it's it feels like that's when the life is like in the movie and everything and the stuff ron howard does is just very by the book and kind of like almost boring in it and it's like oh man like i really would love to see the lord and miller solo movie one day but alas it's never gonna happen maybe animation is sort of more where they belong or something but that's really the other kind of um info i had on them and now i never I never heard that and was like, oh, they must be problematic or this or that or anything. It's like, no, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out or they're going for something different and everything. But I'm always very excited to, you know, hear about their next projects and what they're going to do next. Yeah, I totally forgot about that uh, Han Solo project. So thanks for reminding me of that. Um, maybe, you know, Disney doesn't want to touch them ever again for, and for the MCU. But I mean, they got theirs in, I think, with mm. this movie. <laughs> and then something that they both demanded 
that if they were going to do a Spider-Man movie, that it be based on the Spider-Verse. They were very adamant in wanting Miles Morales to be the protagonist, and they were adamant that they wanted the 2014 Spider-Verse comic to be what it was based on. And the author of that one is someone named Dan Slott, FYI. Let's give him credit where credit is due. And that one is pretty different. Like, well, we don't know because we're not exactly... I feel like we only get a couple issues of that in this movie but like there is a sort of a bigger bad let's just say behind all that and you know more about the web of the spider-verse it's pretty interesting and from what i understand sony is kind of gung-ho to you know realize all of this in live action someday uh so it'll be pretty interesting and and again i just want to say like animation wise like it's so great how you can kind of assign a style to each of these different spider-verse universes so that when they come together they all look unique and you can understand like oh right he's from this universe they're from that universe so it's all very cool how it came together well the fact that in this film comics exist you know what i mean they're they're a little bit different because spider-man was a real person but whenever growing up they did like cartoon crossovers it always deferred to one of those cartoons animation style right like you never had two animation styles existing on one page or you know one screen so that's why you you hit the nail on the head mike awesome i love the way this movie looks i love how they respected all that i think it's so freaking cool a lot of people also think uh, like phil lord and uh, christopher miller directed the film and they were just the producers because this was this is such a big project and the team behind it was the largest of any movie at sony ever because think about how many animators you have to have just that alone right the directors are credited as bob persichetti peter ramsey and rodney rothman and one of them is more for the animation one of them is more for you know the actors and stuff like that point Mm -hmm. is total team effort here you could tell this is like one person doesn't helm a project like this and make it work, you know? You know, <laughs> this might be as good a time as any to get up on this soapbox, but uh, recently, like, I've just been, you know, seeing in behind-the-scenes stuff of the live-action Marvel movies more that they have, like, entire teams of second, third, and so forth unit directors that are directing a lot of that action and, and everything, and it's very collaborative, right? And so, like, bottom line is there's usually more than one main director on those Mar- Marvel oh, movies or, or lots of movies, you know, and I would really love to see multiple directors credited on more types of film, not just like animation, but like lots of live action stuff and not just action, but, you know, like if it's a drama or whatever, like this stigma of one director, I feel like we got to get over it a little more because it is nice when you know it's more of a collaboration and, a lot, and you see the credit for that. And so like, it's cool to see three directors credited on this movie i mean you're right mike especially in these like mcu movies there are almost multiple movies inside these movies you know so so <laughs> yeah so how could one director just be there for you know like because so many people get the credit of producer that mm-hmm. i don't want to say it's meaningless but it's confusing right like us as the fans we have to really do a deep dive who figured out okay who was the one pushing the buttons for this movie and who was just the person who's producer because they 
you know, invented it or who, or there's some people who get producer credits just because they gave a lot of money to the film, you know? So, yeah. So, some writers from what I understand, you know, sometimes if like a ghostwriter or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes an anything. agent just gets it for use, whatever, like in lieu of uh, more money or something along those lines. So it's very confusing the traditional system of who gets what title or whatever. I know it's all unions and we're not going to get into that today. But, yeah, I mean, it's pretty much why I think George Lucas and like Robert Rodriguez and those guys like left the union and are independent directors. I mean, Robert Rodriguez demanded, you know, Frank Miller be credited on Sin City. And I think that's why it's an independent film. I think that's why he left the guild. I could be wrong, but that was the story at the time, crazy. if I recall. Just crazy. And we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, actors and the animation style and all that. But the movie ends up being wildly successful uh, on a $90 million budget. It made $375 million, which is, you know, amazing for an animated film. It won the Academy Award and Golden Globe for Best Animated Feature. The first non-Disney, non-Pixar film to win in, I think, a decade at that point. Wow. And with such a different and unique animation style. Like, I think the one before that, that one that wasn't either studio was Rango, which was that forgettable Johnny Depp. Oh, yeah, the Chinatown one. <laughs> the water. You know, this film, I think, really, really deserved it. Really raised the bar for stuff like this. And I don't know, I can't wait to talk about it. Before we get into the voice cast, Mike, you're better than this than I, than I am. Let's kind of talk about who all our Spider-Mans are. And we have to start with Miles Morales, right? He's yeah. our lead here. I had known about him. I'd never read a Miles Morales comic. I'd heard about him just from a kind of Marvel encyclopedias that I had and doing research and kind of being tangentially aware of the ultimate Marvel stuff. And be like, oh, there's a different Spider-Man. This is cool. And also just, you know, being a Latin person myself, it was a big deal when he was given the mantle of Spider-Man. What is Miles Morales' history to your knowledge before this film? Uh, Right. So I was definitely aware of him. He came... A little after me, I would say. Mm-hmm. Or like like that Ultimate Universe, I never really got into it. So I was a little blindsided by it. I was like, who's this guy? But like to be honest, there were always new spider people popping up all the time. So at first it didn't seem like anything special. No offense or any you know, like not that it wasn't special because of his heritage or anything like that, but there had been Indian Spider Man. Right from the Middle East, and there had been Japanese Spider-Man, and there, so there had been culturally different Spider-Men at the time. So at the so when he popped up on the scene, I was like, you know, good luck, kid. Like I hope you, <laughs> I hope you make it. And sure enough, he did, and it's awesome, right? I think it's a really great um, depiction of where you could sort of take the character in a different direction. How. It goes to prove the adage, like, anybody could be Spider-Man. Like, literally, like, anyone has it in them uh, from any walk of life. Except in The Amazing Spider-Man, where only Peter Parker's and his family descendants can be Spider-Man. Oh, okay. Excuse, <laughs> excuse me. How, how? That's right. Oh, sorry God. about that, um, oh, Andrew Garfield. Sorry, continue. But, yeah, so, like, I kind of came to Miles late, but, like, completely embraced him because, you know, he fought through it. So, like, this is where I became most familiar with him wasn't so much the spider-verse crossover but right after that there was a new secret wars crossover and the ultimate universe was collapsing and literally everybody but miles morales 
was like blinked out of existence and like he survived and made it to the 616 main universe so then i was like all right this is like legit he's never going away it's like a big phenomenon and and that was awesome i really love the look of his suit um i like sort of like the swing of his style um it was a really great chance to rejuvenate the character like inject the new youth of today there's a lot of hip-hop culture in the movie that i believe must have come from the comic character as well um he's an artist like all this stuff is great new sort of addition that you do with a new character. like don't you know don't suddenly make peter parker like uh, a tagger right like (laughs) to the next character and also the new abilities and stuff like it's just so such a fresh time to like test out new abilities for a new Spider-Man and make him stand out in that direction as well. So I think it was just like a great concoction, like something about it, like people just gravitated to it more, you know, I guess like the, ever since the original Spider-Man, the only one that's been around since is Spider-Woman, right? Obviously. Uh, But there's been like so many iterations since. And so it's great that Miles is the one that like the, the guy who like came out sort of the King of the Mountain Uh, at the end of the day and it really truly is the blueprint for what we're going to get now and even down the road right like i I know i keep referring back to the mcu but i have to that that's our main superhero storyline of anything right yeah yeah we are done with i know the phase one phase two phase three but like if they're if we can call a larger phase we're kind of moving into part two of all the phases right now now that yeah. that uh, you know, Endgame is done and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's referred to as the Infinity Saga. Like everything up until Gotcha, um, Far From Home, I believe everything, or everything up until now, this new phase. So uh, maybe this is the multiverse phase. I'm not sure. For the first time in the MCU, we have different people taking up the mantle, right? Uh, for for yeah, for the same lineage characters. Yeah, lineage characters, exactly right. Now I know Falcon was Falcon and we know him from before but he's Captain America now in Hawkeye we have new Hawkeye we have a new uh you know we seem to have a new Black Widow right like there's passing yeah. the torch of stuff which like I said there's never been done in movies what they would just do is the thing what they did for Amazing Spider-Man reboot it you know this is my argument when Ant-Man came out I was like everyone was sort of like busting on it because there's nothing exceptional in their eyes about it you know but I'm like guys they established, like, there's a lineage here. He's Ant-Man 2. Yeah. Like, no one's calling him Ant-Man 2, but he's not the first. Like, this is the next generation, which implies there was a whole history of the Marvel MCU universe that we can just keep tapping along, you know, along the way. Just keep tapping into that past. And in the future going forward, yeah. And, like, you know, Wanda's children, right? Like, they're, you know, next generation heroes, if they ever come back. Like, all this stuff that they're setting up. And they're setting it up nicely where we don't necessarily have to reset things. Like, if I, I don't know if I love children, but if I have children, right? right? Like, prob- they could still watch the Robert Downey Jr. Iron Mans, and they could watch someone else who's going to be Iron Man at some point, right? And it's not like, oh, these are the new Iron Mans, you know what I mean? It's the lineage. Oh, God, I love this lineage. I'm sorry. It's just, I think, I think it's awesome. It's funny because I was just watching part of, I caught part of The Dark Knight Returns. And again, another movie that kind of got a little beat on but i caught the part where bruce wayne's talking to robin and he's like you know it was about 
the idea of being Batman is the symbol that like anyone could like be a Batman, you know? And it was like the, and in that movie ends up sort of passing it on to him. And it was his concept to begin with is like create a lineage of this, this symbol and it will like endure throughout the ages. I mean, for Batman, unfortunately, like Gotham had a much rougher time, <laughs> I think, than he ever anticipated with that League of Shadows popping back up and everything eight years later and just whatever. But yeah, yeah, I just love that concept. And I like how it's being executed now, you know, in the MCU. I think the way that Sony has set up this Miles Morales character, this is kind of what they failed to do with the Andrew Garfield character is have leverage against the MCU or maybe that's too antagonistic, but have some kind of say in being like, you know, the people want miles in the MCU. And it's true. They do that one day we might see miles Morales. Who knows? We might see him in a week from now, Mike, when we go see, (laughs) see, uh, when we go see no way home. But if we don't or whatever, we might see miles Morales eventually lead the Avengers one day. We just don't know, and I, I'm just very excited that they were able yeah. to take this project here and get people stoked about this character who who is unique, who is di- different. He's not Peter Parker, but he still respects Peter Parker, right? Like they respected that yeah. part of it too. So, and just from a personal level, like I said, like like I am a Latin person, seeing a character like this, I didn't think it would impact me as much, especially on this watch. But just how you know, I'm a sucker for the New York City stuff too. They get New York City pretty right in this, except for the fact that it's a different universe and it's like PDNY and things like that. But that's conscious, you know. That, <laughs> Cola with a K. <laughs> yeah, that's conscious. You know, they're doing that on purpose. But I love Miles Morales. I can't wait to one day, even if it's in twenty years, even if it's in ten years, seeing him in, in real life. You make a very interesting point now. I'm thinking back where you're like, it's kind of what they're doing now without Spider-Man with the Venom movie and the Mor- Morbius movie and stuff is like. Maybe this was sort of the testing ground to be like, would the public accept Miles as the real Spider-Man? And now they're like, hey, let's make a Miles Morales live action film. And maybe MCU was kind of maybe Kevin Feige was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's kind of like, wait a minute, see if we could work on this. Let's introduce him, you know. But like, I would love for Sony to pick up. Uh, Spider-Man Noir, you know, cast Nick Cage as the actual Spider-Man Ooh. Noir movie, Ooh. like live action. How and like that is my basically my dream, <laughs> right there. <laughs> it's like I, I could die a happy man after that one. Or or the idea of like casting Chris Pine to be Ultimate Spider-Man, like they could have done that. You know, that would have been incredible. I would still watch Chris Pine as as Ultimate Spider-Man. Like all this kind of stuff. Like so. I don't I think you're right. I don't think that that wasn't I don't think that was far from their mind when they were making this movie. They're like, this is working like we could just translate all this into live action. hundred percent. And Shamik Moore voiced Miles Morales. We talked about him a little bit. Not you and I, but actually Kyle and I on Let It Snow. He was in that Netflix film. He's done a bunch of stuff. Great job. Great job here. So let's go through who our spider men or spider people are in this film. I would say our second lead Spider-Man is referred to as Peter B. Parker, who's uh, voiced by Jake Johnson. Um, a lot of people know him from New Girl. All right, people, let's do this one last time. My name is Peter B. Parker. 
I was bitten by a radioactive spider, and for the last 22 years, I thought I was the one and only Spider-Man. What a day. I'm pretty sure you know the rest. You see, I saved the city, fell in love, I got married, saved the city some more, maybe too much. My marriage got testy, made some dicey money choices, don't invest in a spider-themed restaurant. Then like 15 years passed, blah, 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 super boring, I broke my back, a drone flew into my face, I buried Aunt May, my wife and I split up. But I handled it like a champion. Because you know what, no matter how many times I get hit, I always get back up. He's the brown-haired Peter in this. I, I loved him. I love this character. He's <laughs> down on his luck, Peter Parker. He's divorced to Mary Jane in this. When he ends up in the Spider-Verse, he becomes Miles's reluctant mentor. And just to clarify, the premise of this movie basically is there is a, a rift created in the universe Spider-Man, one of the Spider-Mans, and we'll get to him, is in the, kind of in the middle of this rift, and multiple Spider-Mans end up in Miles's universe, in Miles's New York. So one of them, again, being this Peter B. Parker. Thoughts on Peter B. Parker, Mike? Love him. Jake Johnson kind of, in my, I, I haven't watched The New Girl yet, but every other thing that I see him in, he steals the show. He was in like that tag movie. Um, which oh, yeah. isn't great, but like he's good in it. He's in Let's Be Cops, which granted, terrible name, but he's amazing. In it. Like, that's a very funny movie. Like I, I just love him. I think he's very personable. He's got a, he's got a very like good voice. Yeah, and, and this Spider Man's terrific. I, I have the feeling he's from our universe. Like if there was ever a Spider Man, um, just like real down on your dumps kind of dude. But like, yeah divorced living single like extra spare tire kind of situation <laughs> and uh maybe a bit of the toby universe in there somewhere yeah too, right? so but... mike they said <laughs> that this was a amalgamation between the toby universe and the andrew garfield one oh okay flash forward 10 15 years of that character like what would they have done you know what i mean cool we got a little mj we had a little divorce he does have web shooter so it's not like the toby one exactly basically this was the Spider-Man for guys like me who, yes, we're into the animated show, but mainly at this point we're into the live-action films. This is my guy. Like, if, if yeah. I ever had the question, what it, or what happened to, to that Spider-Man, this is what happened to him, for better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think he's the oldest out of... or He's at least older than Peter well, Parker. Well, we don't I know believe, right? the age of, like, Spider-Noir and... Or, you know what I mean? C- Correct. Yeah, but I think uh, he seems to be uh, having been done this the longest, so that's kind of a good notch for him to have under his. But he's very kind of casual about everything going on. <laughs> you know, even even when things get out of control, he's just always sort of does real. Maybe it's like part of that fight flight or whatever kind of thing that he's just constantly cutting the ice with the jokes and everything like that, trying to ease the tension. So. I, I think he really delivers all that stuff great. I could relate to Spider-Man who, you know, ha- has had a rough year and has let himself go a little bit. You know what I mean? I love when he has the, <laughs> yeah. the top of the costume and then the sweatpants on the bottom. <laughs> yeah. He's great. We'll obviously talk about him more. You mentioned Chris Pine, Mike, and that's the Peter Parker, the one that exists in Miles' universe. Yeah. All right, let's do this one last time. My name is Peter Parker. I was bitten by a radioactive spider. And for 10 years, 
I've been the one and only Spider-Man. I'm pretty sure you know the rest. With great power comes great responsibility. I saved a bunch of people, fall in love, saved the city. And then I saved the city again, and again, and again, and again. And I did, uh, I did this. We don't really talk about this. And he is supposed to be the best case scenario for a Spider-Man. That's how they created him. He's almost like if Captain America was Spider-Man. Just about, right? Like, I love the references that they use for his backstory because they have, like, the the subway scene from Spider-Man 2, but then the disco scene from Spider-Man 3, you know? And it's like he's got an ice pop. He's got a Christmas album. Um, he's got, like, his own comics. Like, it's really funny. I don't know. Like, everyone kind of embraces this Spider-Man. Just so used to him being villainized in the comics, and, and right, like, and in the press. But this seems to be—he uh, seems to be really well accepted in this universe, which is a delight. It mirrors our universe in a sense where, yet, yeah, all these pop culture Spider-Man stuff that actually exist, and like Mike, your Earth and my Earth, like, like you said, the popsicle, the comics, and stuff like that. That exists in his universe because Spider-Man is so great that there's almost like there's a hero thing around him. You know, it, it's a popsicle based on a real person instead of a comic book person like for us. But for me, it was so cool to see those things in animated form. Yeah, the Christmas album I had totally forgotten about. Ah, and, yes. You know, us, us recording this around Christmas time and me like kind of rifling through my Christmas records and everything like that was that was hilarious. Great sport, Chris Pine. Huge sport. And also, Chris Pine, the one of the famous Chris's who is technically not in the MCU. Not that he's in it with this yeah, movie, but... Yeah, yeah. Nice of him to pop in. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think if you're a new watcher to the Spider-Verse, or maybe a younger person, you might not realize that all these things are actual Earth pop culture things. Like you're saying, like the Chris's album. So... It's cool to see for guys of more our generation that they acknowledged all that, you know? Yeah, and I think that's a big thing, too. And I think that's why maybe Peter B. Parker feels a little like he's closer to you're in my age. Like, we're still, like, like six or seven years apart or whatever. But, like, he seems to be, like, closer to the kids who grew up in, like, the 80s and 90s. And then Chris Pine is sort of, like, the more, like, oh, the the aughts and the 2000s version of spider-man and stuff and now miles is like the next generation of spider-man so it's kind of cool to see kind of how people relate to that differently yeah so uh the peter parker the chris pine peter parker is 26 and the jake johnson peter parker is 38 so yeah kind of right there you go (laughs) exactly what you're saying the other spider people though i was having a blast with these oh baby let's start though with uh Gwen Stacy, and no, not the uh, Emma Stone Gwen Stacy. This this Gwen Stacy is voiced by Haley Steinfeld, who we've talked about here on High School Slumber Party, Edge of Seventeen. But I mean, she's great. But she is referred to as Spider Gwen in a lot of places. But she's really Spider Woman. You know, I think the comic right. is called Spider Gwen, right? But like, she doesn't call herself yeah. Spider Gwen. That'd be dumb. No, <laughs> give it away, right? It'd be kind of calling himself Spider Peter. <laughs> people let's start at the beginning one last time my name is gwen stacy i was bitten by a radioactive spider and for the last two years i've been the one and only spider woman you guys know the rest i joined a band 
save my dad. I couldn't save my best friend, Peter Parker. So now I save everyone else. And I don't do friends anymore. Just to avoid any distractions. Loved the character so much. Loved the way they animated her. I thought she looked so cool. We got a lot of uh, school interactions with her and Miles because she's thrown into this universe, but a couple weeks before. So to investigate, she enrolls herself in Miles' school. Oh, in the original scripts, they had more of a romance. It's teased a little bit here, but you know, towards the end, it's like, oh, let's just be friends or whatever kind of thing. But it's like cool in a sense. Mm-hmm. I thought her voice work was great. I thought the character was great. And I knew nothing about Spider-Woman. So uh, what were your thoughts on Spider-Gwen? Uh, your history maybe with Spider-Gwen? Yeah. Um, also, it's cool. Haley, isn't Haley uh, Steinfeld um, Kate Bishop? Oh, duh. New Hawkeye. <laughs> so, like, that's cool as well. She gets to be too. But yeah, I, I, I was introduced to Spider Gwen. I think the same way everyone else was reading the Spider Verse comic, Edge of Edge of Spider Verse issue number two, uh, which I feel very fortunate to have gotten off the rack because like a nine point six is like going for a thousand dollars on eBay. Whoa. It's, it's her, her first appearance is just ridiculously off the charts right now. It's interesting, like the the previous Spider Women weren't bitten by spiders like they were there were two that i know of and they were like super spies like they were shield agents and they were just like amazing spies and they had powers and abilities and stuff but it was psionic webs and things like that and very different types of costumes one of them wore the venom suit like the not the symbiote but like the black spider-man costume and one of them wore like this very elaborate red and yellow one which i like a lot uh with this like cat mask but i believe Gwen might be the first version to have, like, the actual powers that are attributed to being a spider person in this kind of context, right? Like, with the web slinging and the uh, sticking to walls and the extrasensory abilities and the aerobics and everything like that. So, um, aside from just being, like, an incredibly awesome design right like she looks amazing like visually just such a cool color combination and everything like it's no wonder like she's just an instant hit like instantly and everyone was just dying for well no <laughs> i guess but like everyone was just waiting for gwen stacy to come back in like a good way because i think the last time they brought her back she was like married to norman osborne what? and it was like all weird yeah I, I, that's what i hear <laughs> so it was cool to have a version of her that wasn't the original version, you know, like we say, sort of a legacy in a way. In a way, I think MCU is going to um, sort of pillage the multiverse by the end and have like new versions of old characters also. Uh, like, I think, yeah, it was, um, she kind of was integrated in a very well, uh, in a very good way. Oh, she's awesome. I, I can't say that enough. And yeah, duh, I, I can't believe I forgot to mention the Hawkeye connection. And just to clarify, for those of you maybe confused out there, because it is confusing if you haven't seen the movie and you're listening to this episode. But in her universe, she was bitten by the spider, and Peter Parker, her love interest, is the one who dies. So it's almost like The Amazing Spider-Man yeah. 2 reversed, if you will, or again, the death of Gwen Stacy, what it's derived from anyway. Well, he, he appeared to have been the lizard in her universe, and 
So like, oh really? Did you catch? No, that? I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. like when when she said, "On my universe, my best friend Peter Parker, like I couldn't save him or something," and and she kicks the lizard in a silhouette or in a shadow, and then when he transforms on the ground, it's Peter Parker, and I was like, oh. Damn. Oh, you're right. I'm looking it up now. Uh, so I thought she kicked the lizard and Peter died anyway, but you're right. So from the comics, that was actually something that existed. Interesting. So that's kind of cool and dark to think about that in other dimensions, like maybe he's the goblin or something. Crazy. <laughs> it's just crazy. So those honestly, those are like main spider people, but we have to go. With the entire Spider team here, who sort of just oh, yeah. just appears at one point. So, which of the other three Spider Men do you want to talk about first, Mike? Well, I feel like you know he should skip the line, and we should talk about the patron state of the network, Nick Cage, right, and Spider Man Noir a little bit. In my universe, it's 1933, and I'm a private eye. I like to drink egg creams, and I like to fight Nazis a lot. Awesome. Yeah, I'm really curious to know your reaction. Well, I'll, let me. I'll just tell you real quick. So, again, again, I remember when this came out. I think this originally was part of like um, Marvel Dark series or something. The comic, they were, yeah, the comic where they were doing heavier material for like a more mature audience. And Spider-Man Noir came out, and I kind of scoffed at it on the shelf. I was like, (laughs) you know, like too much, really. But then, like, it kind of just like dug in my brain for some reason i was like there's something badass about that concept of spider-man in like the 40s or something like as if he's like in a um humphrey bogart movie or you know like it just kept growing on me and when the movie came out i couldn't believe that they used him like it's so great not only that that nick cage got the voice of doing a humphrey bogart impression it was you know i mentioned earlier like do this live action like everything is right here and like you could even do it in black and white so you could dh cage if you need to a little bit and it, it'll all look good and everything like it's just such a cool concept now i just i think ultimately it might have been the idea might have been like spider-man meets sin city and then over the time it, it sort of found its own footing you know and um i believe that he, he fights all of his own types of villains and everything and i believe even the um night monkey suit in far from home might have been a shout out to the to the noir suit as well as as well as just like the black suit and stuff so yeah just totally love everything about him in this movie (laughs) all of his one-liners like it's just so great we all know nicholas cage's maybe we don't but if you're a fan of the network you know nicholas cage's obsession with playing superheroes like the fact that he wanted to be superman and all these things he gets ghostwriter eventually whatever but kick ass kick ass yeah but this is great and he and he's so great it's a small part but it's so rewarding when you hear that voice of nicholas cage like bravo bravo and it's such a fun character and that's also one of the animation styles that's different from the mainstream animation in the movie and they blend it so well. Yeah, and they play on it. He's like confounded by the oh, Rubik's yeah. cube, because you know? <laughs> he can't see colors or whatever. Uh, yeah. So love that, love that. And the other two Spider Man, uh, you already said it. I had not even heard of Peter Porker slash Spider Ham until this movie came out. I'm a photographer for the Daily Beagle. When I'm not pooching around, I'm working like a dog trying to sniff out the latest story. I frolic and I dance and I do this with my okay, pants and my... Okay, enough! 
there's a history with this, right? John Mulaney voices the character in the movie, but mm-hmm. do you know about Spider-Ham coming into the movie? Well, <laughs> I <laughs> it felt like such a deep cut. Like it it really for me, this is the one moment that really hit me in like the nostalgia gut kind of because like when I started reading comics and Spider-Man and stuff like I was very very young. Like I probably had just learned to read and uh, just started drawing and everything. And to be handed a copy of Spider-Ham when you're like six or seven (laughs) or something, and you're looking at it and you're like, and this is also at the height of sort of uh, anthropomorphic uh, like animal comics. I mean, like that has been, it has always been a history in cartooning, obviously of, uh, you know, walking, talking animals and especially comics and everything. And, but like it really started bleeding into the mainstream when the Ninja Turtles hit, right? And so I really feel like Marvel was uh, like doling out their Spider Ham, and the Vulture that he fought was really a Vulture, right? <laughs> and I guess like the Scorpion was an actual Scorpion, and so it was all just like a play on the Animal Kingdom, and I loved it. And it's kind of like as a teenager and like an early adult, I almost thought it was like a fever dream. At one point, <laughs> that there's no way that could have existed, you know. And then when the internet hit, I had to look it up again. Oh yeah, okay, I was not insane. Uh, but for them to sort of pull that into this movie, like on the one hand, it makes perfect sense because we're watching a cartoon, and he is what kind of personifies, for better or worse, the shorthand for what a animated cartoon. Um, kind of is right he's like the looney tunes he's the disneyfied he's that kind of version of animation in that american style right like yeah the chuck jones uh, well he i guess it would be more like the tex avery tex avery sort of yeah like some someone you would see in roger rabbit precisely (laughs) yeah or even like hanging out with felix the cat yeah he's got like such more of a sort of bounce to him but just amazing Like, like that's what you have to do like he could only sort of be realized in, in animation. What if he jumped into the MCU? Like he would just look like CGI, right? Like you kind of couldn't, you, you can't really realize this dude. And, and you I, say that, I, I Mike, but let's be honest about something. The success yeah. they've had with Rocket in uh, Gardens True. of the Galaxy I just re- is like. I just realized <laughs> what I said. No, but I didn't even think about it until you mentioned it. I'm like, you know what, you're right. I'm like, wait a minute. But no one would have even possibly thought that rocket raccoon would have been a conceivable mm-hmm. like when you're when you're watching the first iron man in theaters and and you, then you draw the line to rocket and how they interact like it's normal like no one would have ever guessed that they've been able to achieve that so as crazy totally. as it sounds we could get a spider ham that's believable yeah we got howard the duck walking howard around duck. in space we we've got freaking the double butt-faced Morris flying around out there, right? Like, we got crazy <laughs> shit out there, so... This is a character that, again, if you told me about it on paper, I'd be like, this is the dumbest thing in the entire world. But they can make it work. It, it works here. Again, the anvil and the, you know, the big hammer, things like that. And John Mulaney, his normal voice sounds like a cartoon, so perfect, <laughs> I think perfect voice. For this character yeah i really the only thing i wish that he snuck in was like a tuna reference somewhere i gotta rewatch it a little closer and see if he said tuna at some point <laughs> <laughs> too much tuna and then the final person on did, did they have a name for their team i i don't think they have a name for i think at one point when the villains bust in peter b parker says yeah we're, we're the spider 
gang or yeah, something like that, right? <laughs> I don't think he has a name. So we'll right. say the last member of the Spider Gang, and not last because of quality of fighting or anything like that, but that is uh, Penny Parker, voiced by Kimoko Glenn. I'm from New York in the year 3145. I have a psychic link with a spider who lives inside my father's robot. And we're best friends <laughs> forever. Penny Parker and the... I don't know the robot's name is it's credited as spider. Yeah, but I think it's like S period Y period D period R something, you know. Yeah, it's something non traditional. It stand it stands for something. <laughs> I had never heard of this version. It's a version based on Japanese anime. Penny Parker is a young student who has a robot, a robot spider who, you know, she can go inside of it, but she could also control it. It's pretty badass, to be honest with you. Yeah, I wasn't quite... I'm, I'm never 100% sure because I think that's part of the gag. It's like her father was bitten by the spider or like his essence is in the spider, which fuels the robot and like she draws power from it. Like they gave her an extremely complex origin intentionally to kind of reference how hard to follow anime might be sometimes when you're like lost in translation about stuff you know and they just kind of like have to make up part of the story for american audiences the best they can i i can't quite remember what role she might have played in the actual comic spider-verse but there is another japanese spider-man out there who i'm very familiar with and he's just called spider-man sometimes uh supaidaman you know, if you had the, the accent, Supaidaman. And it's from 1978. It's a Japanese television show. Oh, yes, and yes. It kinda, it, yeah, and it kind of, it was kind of a, they got the license to do a couple Marvel projects. They only ended up doing Spider-Man, but it was sort of a dry run for what would eventually become uh, Super Sentai, which would then become the Power Rangers in America. And it was like the first instance of, or one of the very early instances of like, um, guys dressing up in suits and giant robot like he had a giant robot called leo pardon that he would transform and jump into and fight just like voltron or something and he rode a motorcycle and he's from planet spider like it is <laughs> insane <laughs> but um it was like one of the very early uh, i think it's like tokusatsu is the name of uh is like the sort of um i think it i think the translation is like big costume show or something like that like it's just it, it is again just like you know people dressed up in the giant suits and like wrecking the cities and everything that would almost like kind of become later godzilla things and so there is a big history of spider-man in japan too there were there were manga i believe in the 60s and so forth and they were reprinted in the in the 90s and the 2000s so it's great to see him or her for that matter with even better that they've created like this uh this female version that's completely different but yet similar with the robot and everything to the one that i knew yeah so that one i only know because of i think it was featured on the power rangers toys that made us episode so, oh, so okay because they, you're right it was like the direct uh there's a direct co- correlation between power rangers and that spider-man but this uh penny parker here Gotta say, love this character as well. More than I thought I would. Like I said, I'm not really into anime or anything like that. But holy shit. Like, so cool. And how they would just jump when she's fighting into these anime style, like Japanese anime style animation. I don't know. I don't understand animation in that sense. Like, I don't know the higher terms for these things. (laughs) But the way they can blend all these sequences together and it's flawless 
I, I can't speak enough about it. Yeah, I also wish I knew more about the kind of behind-the-scenes science of animation and stuff. But, like, I know there's timing to it, right? So, like, there's terms like animated on ones and twos and threes and so forth. And it's the number of seconds they hold the pose or number of frames for that matter. And so I know, like, there's a... There's some story flowing out there where, like, Miles and Peter are animated at different speeds. And as Miles becomes sort of a better Spider-Man, his animation, like, there's more frames to it. And he becomes smoother. And it's sort of, like, easier to follow and all that. So, like, I know they're definitely playing on different animation uh, techniques with each of the different Spider-Men as well. Really cool, really cool. So we've spent a lot on the cast, so I just want to, you know, go over some of these other names really quickly. I mean, they're huge names, so I have to... (laughs) I know, it's crazy. (laughs) I don't even know where to begin. Start with Blade. Oh my god, yeah, Marshala Ali as Prowler here. So good, man. So good, and like, I think I remember when Prowler was was first created, and I was kind of like, Prowler? Really? Like... (laughs) <laughs> Did he run out of names? Like, just the Prowler? Like, guys. And also, I felt like his mask was too close to Spider-Man's. Or he looks like Spawn, you know? He's like yeah. a palette oh, swap yeah. of Spawn. So I was like, nah, sorry, guy. Like, I just couldn't get into him. So I was blown away by how threatening and dangerous they made this character. It was like, holy shit, I can't believe, like, I respect the Prowler now. Yeah, I thought it was so awesome um of course he's aaron davis spoiler alert he is uh the uncle of miles morales we got to see aaron davis a little bit in homecoming played by donald glover Mm -hmm. i don't know if that'll continue or whatever but so cool what a cool character and of course he's the brother of jefferson davis the police officer who is the father of miles morales he's voiced by brian tyree henry who's been in a bunch of stuff yeah, but he's in the Eternals. He's an Eternal. Oh, duh. Oh, God. It's funny how many of these people <laughs> would go on to later Marvel roles. Oh, in, I mean, uh, Agatha's on, in here, too. We got Agatha in here. Like, we got Liev Shriver, who was Sabretooth at one point. Like, it's out of control. For sure. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Lily Tomlin plays Aunt May. This is very much a different kind of Aunt May. She's a little bit more badass. I don't know if you noticed that. And... The legend who is <laughs> Lily Tomlin, by the way. So good. Luna Lauren Velez plays Rio Morales, Miles' mom. Again, another TV veteran. I didn't realize this till after, but Zoe Kravitz is the voice of Mary Jane. Yeah, I did. I'm looking at that now. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Catwoman. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. I mean, Jesus Christ. Maybe everyone's just in a superhero movie these days, so you have to have two or three. I mean, just about. And you already said it. Leif Shriver as kingpin which i do want to go into a little bit because kingpin Mm -hmm. i mean i know kingpin was big in the spider-man comics he's big in the cartoon shows never really featured in spider-man movies at least not yet again we might get that i know he uh they featured him in both daredevil adaptations we've gotten right because he's like vincent d'onofrio in the series and wasn't it Michael Clark Duncan in the the Affleck one? Yeah, yeah, and uh, I believe Jonathan Reese Davies played him on television in Trial of the Incredible Hulk. Oh my so, goodness, really? I didn't know. Go that. check that out. <laughs> A huge, huge Marvel villain that I don't think people who are just fans of the MCU really know. You know, but if you're a comic mm-hmm. fan, you know Kingpin. 
what do you think of a I guess Kingpin's animation style in this? Because I know like Green Goblin is very different in this universe, mm-hmm. but uh, what were your thoughts on Kingpin in this series? I really thought it was awesome and imposing and just like a terrific use of negative space which i'm following on instagram because i just watched an interview with the creator of aeon flux right and like he's been talking a lot about animation and directing and things like that and just today or yesterday he posted something about negative space and how important it is and and how lots of times uh it's just very overlooked and this movie is full of it and kingpin is a huge example of that like he just takes up the frame wherever he is it's just this huge black blot and this tiny little pinhead of a white head on it you know and it's just so imposing and just so hard not to notice and it's just it's so great it just says so much about his character and that's the way to do it and that's translated throughout the whole movie as far as like art style and stuff like its design is just beautiful and impec- impeccable and you're just not even going to notice. Your brain isn't even going to pick up, but it's going to be pleased without knowing why, really. <laughs> yeah, uh, I thought it was uh, I thought it was so cool. This is something you can get away with so much. I mean, obviously easier in animation. You can't really make Kingpin that big <laughs> in, no. in live action, but it's, it's so cool. It's like. Again, loved it. And the other character I really, really loved, you already mentioned, Ag- it was Agatha all along, Catherine Hahn. But as <laughs> Olivia Octavius lived, yes. uh, head scientist and CEO of Alchemax, which is, you know, the science company in this. And obviously you've been glitching. Glitching? No. Why would you even say that? You stay in this dimension too long, your body's going to disintegrate. Do you know how painful that would be, Peter Parker? Uh, I don't know. You can't imagine. And I, for one, can't wait to watch. What did you say your name was? Dr. Olivia Octavius. Can I assume that your friends call you Doc Ock? My friends actually call me Liv. My enemies call me Doc Ock. I got this! Run! Catherine Hahn is amazing. She's always been one of my favorites, so... Even pre-Agatha, I was a big Catherine Hahn fan. Oh, yeah. But I I didn't remember how good she was in this role as, you know, a different gendered Dr. Ock, and I think it really works. Go If they didn't return Alfred Molina, I would have loved to have seen this version of Doc Ock in uh, the Ooh. Tom Holland world. That would have been awesome. Uh, yeah, like, and, and a gen- I was genuinely surprised too like when i first saw the movie i was like oh sick like didn't see that coming at all and then rewatching this she's sort of laced throughout the movie uh here and there like she is there watching one of her videos in science class you hear her voice but don't see her during the first collider test uh it's really cool how they like they uh foreshadow her and then how she kind of is just like the leader of the villains by the end of it. It's really great. So cool. Uh, two other notes I wanted to mention in regards to the cast. Yeah. Originally, they wanted to have Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland all have voice mm. cameos one way or another, just kind of as a nod to that. Apparently, they all agreed as well. However, it was decided 
by the production team that let's keep them out of this. They didn't want to confuse casual viewers into thinking yeah. that this is one of their movies. You know, they wanted just to yeah. create the separation. Probably a good move. Yeah, C- confusing enough, I'd say, for the normal like non obsessive because like you're already seeing references to their movies with some of these other characters so you might think that that's supposed to be them to begin with Uh, so to have them actually show up even i would have just been a little like i don't know (laughs) the other note is uh stan lee oh yeah posthumously this is his last role his voice work in the film now of course they've inserted him into other marvel things since then but he actually recorded for the film and then it was released after that. So a big tribute to him nice. at the end as well. So, yeah, it was awesome seeing that. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. I didn't catch any Steve Ditko tribute, but way to go, Stan Lee. Well, Mike. The Thomas Edison of comic books. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, Mike, actually, I was going to say this is the one of the few movies that acknowledge Steve Ditko. Because if you stay to the credits, they have a Stan Lee quote. But then it says, thank you, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko for creating the character and like something like, you know, saying that we all could be okay. heroes or something like that. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it. Obviously, the forgotten man in this entire thing. I mean, it's, it's it's uncanny if you look at a picture of Steve Ditko, the artist of the original Spider-Man and a picture of Peter Parker. He, it's him. <laughs> like He literally just drew himself. Oh, it's so it's so great. Yeah, and also I implore everybody to check out pictures of Stan Lee before. Uh, just let's just say Stan Lee before. <laughs> I don't know how else to really phrase that, but Stan Lee before. Man, I wish he just stayed that way. But like, yeah, crazy. I love the. Uh, I, I've I've seen it only again in like um, reference books or, or stuff like that. But like, didn't DC create like a fake Stan Lee at one point? Have you ever seen that? Oh, oh yeah, in in the comics, right? As a character. Oh, I'm sorry. I have I was on mute. Yeah, I have seen I've seen drawings of that. <laughs> I can't quite I can't quite recall. Yeah, just like a super 70s weirdo guy. <laughs> I'm not dissing Stanley. I'm just like that's what D- No, DC look, honestly, like yeah, very beloved man, but you know, completely reinvented himself at one point and it's just remarkable. Like <laughs> bravo. Turned himself into one of his own characters. Yeah, that's the best way to put it. That's definitely the best way to put it. <laughs> Woo. Well, that took a while because this was a team effort to make this film. Let's start talking about the movie. And we could go in any direction okay. here. It really doesn't matter. Uh, there's so many good things to talk about. I have so many things in my notes. Mm. We've touched on the animation, just like how awesome it is. A note I had on that is that they really were, in addition to all the comics were influenced by cubism uh that particular artistic movement and they really wanted to work that in so that it didn't have a feel of kind of any kind of animated film before it a lot of abstract stuff in this movie yeah i mean this is a lot of stuff also i feel that is part of comics to a degree or at least like early on it had a lot of that a lot of that mentality going on with like splash pages and and just using like um, lettering to kind of like signify sound effect and stuff, but they would draw sort of backgrounds with speed lines. And, you know, in this movie too, when the universes kind of open up, 
you see like these dots and stuff and i feel like that's a reference to uh jack kirby and he would always draw energy that way it would be referred to as kirby crackle and also you could like see color separations and line bleeds and where like the holding line is like misprinted it looks like a misprinted comic book at times right so like i appreciate all that stuff so hard as a kid growing up with like wondering like why is the comic book colored sort of like printed outside of the line or off and you're like yeah the separation you learn as an adult later on you realize like at the printer the separations were off or like they mismarked the the holding line it's 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 like very technical stuff but like they took the time and appreciation to think of that and and to put that down and like subconsciously you might not notice it but it's there and it's like it's affecting you yeah I, 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 don't know, I do not know the terms. Like, you know more terms than I do for these things, but there's so many I took note on. Like, that looks cool. That looks awesome. <laughs> I don't know how, how to yeah. describe it. Well, you could, like, see the, the dots. The dots, yes. Right? Like, that is the telltale sort of signature of, right, <laughs> it's been at the, it's been on the printer. Kind of, yeah, so that, that replication, that kind of care is, like, terrific. So good. <laughs> So I'm just going through my notes. There's just so many funny lines I loved. Like uh, when um, Spider Noir says, I like to drink egg creams and and, and fight Nazis. Like, yeah. Like that. I love that because he's from the 40s. So he's fighting Nazis. And drinking you egg know? Creams, like, yeah. Of course. He also has a line. Um, I think they, they're fighting in Aunt May's house. And he's like, we don't pick the ballroom. We just dance. Oh, so good. It's like, damn. <laughs> okay. So my favorite moments, things that you think We'll, mm. we'll need, as we continue on our spider journey, anything okay. that really stuck out to you? This is a tough one. When the movie is like, you're, you know, when you like basically everything that they're doing and all that's kind of happening, it's really hard to, to pull something out. I really love when they go to Aunt May's house, though, and they reveal the cave. Oh, that was my number. With all the costumes. That was my number one favorite moment. I just ranked them in my head a little bit. Mm-hmm. Seeing the spider lair, and it's kind of like the bat cave. I've never gotten a Spider-Man version like that, but this perfect Spider-Man has it, and it is so cool, like the bikes and the all the costumes, like the one with the cape or whatever. Awesome. So yeah, and that's when we meet our whole Spider Gang together. So loved that moment. And Aunt May, that's the the kick-ass version of Aunt May, and she just guides them down there, and they definitely animated like a true queen's house there. You know, gotta appreciate that. But once they head into that basement, <laughs> oh, I was like, I want to see this one day in the, the live action movies. We're not there yet because we keep building from young Spider-Man. We've never had established Spider-Man. We've never had, I've been successful. I'm just fighting bad guy Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll get this one day. I don't know, but I'm looking forward to it, I hope. Yeah, I would love it. I mean, <laughs> or maybe even just... Yeah, like even if they did this in a in a cartoon show someday too, that would be kind of interesting as well. Just pick up with all this kind of Batman version of Spider Man <laughs> kind of thing. I guess I don't know. Let's see. There's a couple other things. Oh, this really stuck out that I thought was cool. Like they really, you know, big up the Queens and everything. But shout out Brooklyn. Oh yeah, yeah. Because Miles is from Brooklyn. Yeah, and like that's cool. Like that's good. Like there's a, there could like let's get one in every borough. Um, it's crazy they snuck a Biggie song into this. Yeah. I think it's the first time a lot of pe- kids are going to be hearing Biggie. 
That was really great. Uh, the lab is located in the lovely New York Hudson Valley. So shout out to the Larsons and watch out for Doc Ock. <laughs> Hudson Valley. You know what else is located in the Hudson Valley in the MCU? The new. Oh, is that where the Avengers, yeah, the uh, new Avengers compound yeah, is? Yeah, the new Avengers compound. So I'm like, that's interesting. Oh, shit. Technically in the Hudson Valley slash Westchester area is uh, Professor Xavier's school for gifted gifted youngsters yeah so hudson valley's got deep marvel connections ah yeah um something i think that it's might have been established already in the mcu but i like that they're doing this thing here with um anytime they need like dna for something they use hair so like you know like uh they're opening up the portal and at the end they're going to use kingpin's strand of his hair for his dna and everything and from what i understand like earlier they didn't didn't doctor strange use thor's hair to do a spell yeah, yeah. in like ragnarok and so i have a feeling he might be using a hair to do a spell in the new movie and like hair kind of like just the idea that like um not only are you opening up the multiverse, but you're kind of targeting it with the DNA of somebody so that you're opening up like their specific corner of the multiverse that like only their, let's just say variants will sort of bleed out. So the idea that Spider-Men are the only thing or Spider-People are the only thing that came through is because Peter Parker got his head stuck in the machine by the Green Goblin and it like made a call out into the multiverse or whatever and so i think that's what kingpin was trying to do at the end was like trying to get his wife back by snatching one that was still alive in the multiverse somewhere so i think going forward that would be a cool way to navigate the multiverse in the future is to say like oh i uh I, I don't want to get lost out there, so let's tether it to somebody, right? So, like, mm-hmm. now I'm in the multiverse, but I'm going through, like, the Hulk multiverse, you know, just to be safe. Well, maybe that might not be the safest uh, of the <laughs> multiverse out there, you know, but you get my drift. Like, we're, <laughs> there's some kind of tether idea. Like, I think that that's a really cool thing to have. And I'm glad you bring up to the connecting threads, right? Because it's not just DNA, mm. We see Spider-Man die in this, at least a version of Spider-Man die in this. It's pretty impactful, but they make this, and they make this connection throughout all the spider people in the film that it's almost like loss is needed in the Spider-Man story to like bring Mm -hmm. you to that next level. Right. And they all had their losses. A couple of them were uncle Ben's, you know, because that's just how it went. Um, for for Gwyn, it's literally a version of Peter Parker. So if you look at this movie through Gwyn's eyes, and to be fair, we don't. This is completely Miles' story. But if we look at it through Gwyn's eyes, she has to hang out with versions of her Ooh. of her dead friend the entire time. You know, that's heaven. Oh shit. man, she's got it the worst. hundred percent. That's tough. I, at least Miles is a Miles and not a Peter. Like at least maybe that's why they're so close. Because he's not named Peter Parker or something like that. So I was thinking, in relevance to our MCU Spider-Man, his who's who was his loss? Tony, I guess, at this point. Yeah. Well, we never we never saw Uncle Ben, and it's yeah, funny we, about Miles in this. Like Miles loses Peter Parker, kinda. He doesn't really know him, but he loses Spider-Man, like everybody. But then he loses his uncle. He's got like an evil uncle. We find. Yeah. Out. It's like evil. Yeah, uncle he loses ben. Prowler. But. Tom Holland, we don't know, you know, and between us friends, it's a toss-up who's playing 
Uncle Ben, if it's going to be Joe Pesci or if it's going to be George Costanza, but it's going to be one of them. No. <laughs> well, that's those are two Marissa Tomei sort of like, you know, my cousin Vinny and Seinfeld. But um, no, we, we haven't seen that yet. I would say that Tony is the surrogate there by far. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So when you tie it, every version of the Spider-Man story has a super significant loss. Maybe we get another loss, mm. you know, in, in the newest version that we'll be watching in a week or so. But I don't know. That was so impactful. So like when the Prowler died yeah. in this and he has to basically, one, it's revealed that the dude chasing him is his uncle. But two, his uncle essentially saves his life and gets killed for it. And his words to him when he does end up dying, basically like, you know, I want you to look up to me like a hero. And the fact that his father's a cop, his uncle who he admires is a criminal, and he just like skirts between, not that Miles is ever a criminal necessarily, but he does. He's a delinquent. Yeah, in yeah. a sense, right? <laughs> like he's in a, he's in a higher level school. He's not out there. I'm not saying he's like out there again, dealing drugs or fighting people or anything like that, right? But he he does do the graffiti art. It is frowned upon. You know what I mean? So it just, to me, did enough to distinguish his character from Peter Parker's. His backstory mm-hmm. from Peter Parker's. Love the mom as a nurse, too. It, his parents are incredible. Like, you know, his mom, the nurse, but, like, I, I, feel, I feel like not only do, you know, cops get sort of, like you know okay i don't want to get into cops or anything like that but but we got but like larson and i kind of talked about this a little bit with police academy to see a positive black police officer on screen being portrayed you know i feel like that speaks volumes you know like and to have miles's father be a policeman in new york city and everything like to already have sort of that role model in the house and he's such a great father and everything like it makes it that much harder when you see like your uncle basically stringer bell like you know like living it up in the underworld it, it's just like he it really feel like he could go either way until the death until his uncle realizes he's been chasing his nephew this whole time and i love when he well i don't love when he's passed passing away but when he's <laughs> passing away he's saying to miles keep going keep going you know like you're doing the like you're on the right path like what you're doing is the right thing let this die with me almost is what i was taking from it kind of thing and that was very powerful and i feel like the way he kind of like thanks and hugs his dad at the end and he's like thank you officer i love you and all <laughs> that kind of thing it's like coming around to all all of that kind of like being able to accept his dad more and that role that he plays and how hard that is and you know he's got a target on his back all day long you know it's like spider-man literally spray paints a target on his chest like in this movie like i feel like there is a correlate there somewhere yeah his parents are quite literally in service to the community in service mm-hmm. to people. Uh, his uncle, maybe not so much, but he still looks after him, and, and he's a role model. It's different than the Peter story, but still, every Spider-Man story has to come with this loss regardless. Like, you have to pay the piper to understand, understand true responsibility, it seems. I love also when an animated movie can do that, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to sound condescending, but a lot of people don't really believe in the power of animated films 
doing that. But again, people in the Pixar generation at least can understand that, right? Animation does have a reputation of being just for children. And I think that's a little unfair. Yeah, and cartooning in general has a stigma for being for children too. But, you know, cartooning is drawing, okay? It's drawing expressions, right? It's like, that's the bottom line. Like, that's the base. That's where we're all coming from, basically. It's drawing. It's putting pen to paper kind of thing. Animation is the motion, right? It's like the art of the motion of the drawing of the cartoon, but you're right, like even myself at times can't help, but you know, you're programmed from a very young age. Just you feel like animation first and foremost is there to entertain um, the younger of age, but it's not, it's not necessarily. And I mean, even from the beginning, I think the idea was it's so difficult that it, you want to kind of draw something simpler and simplicity is usually kind of correlated with youth or younger or like childish things or for children um but it's far from the case in general i feel and you know hopefully this movie's doing its part to say yes you know it's a four quadrant type film but it's definitely on a higher level than something disney would be putting well haha disney because they own marvel but you get my drift you know disney animation old school it's not the little mermaid okay i mean it's not even miyazaki stuff like this is something else so i could appreciate all that i think it just brings things to such a different level and it makes it we're talking about it part of the reason because it is on par and better than a mm-hmm. lot of the live action spider-man films and that's for a reason right uh, other notes i had that i just wanted to talk about already brought up the spanish thing mm-hmm. but i love also it's one thing to say that you know a character has like latin and black origin but to show it on screen with the hip-hop culture a lot of the movie is bilingual and Spanish-speaking mm-hmm. in a sense that looked like an Afro-Latin home that uh, he lived in in terms of just... It wasn't just fan service. It felt real, you know? It, it, he felt like a real person living in... You know, someone who grew up in those circumstances, they talk about him winning that lottery and going to that uh, charter school, and it's ended up being a boarding school. Um, so... I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the high school elements mm-hmm. of the film or just the school elements. And again, there wasn't too much, but the fact that like, you know, him getting in trouble and having to do that essay or whatever. Um, the roommate, I think is really cool. I know, you know, we usually see roommates in college and movies, but in boarding school here, what were your thoughts just again on the general school aspects of things, the teenage aspects of Miles Morales? Yeah. I mean, this must be what teenagers are like these days. I'm going to take the movie's word for it. Like, it all, you know, that's kind of a joke. That's just, <laughs> I'm joking about how old I am. But no, like, I, it felt completely natural to me. Like, the more things just kind of stay the same with high school, I suppose. But this idea of, like, the charter school took a minute for me to kind of get the hang, or at least understand what was happening. You know, I felt like they could have maybe taken an extra minute just to flesh the idea yeah. of that out for me. But once I got the hang of it like i was totally fine and um i loved like everything going on like he's kind of like not that cool like i thought he was cooler than he is i mean he is like i'd like to hang out with this kid if i was a teenager like i 
you know, I think he was like an interesting person and everything like that. But he's also like they did a great job of making him a different type of dork in a weird way. You know what I mean? Like he's going through like the puberty thing. So he's like clumsy. He he doesn't know how to like quite talk to girls or people or like authority figure exactly. He's still kind of trying to figure himself out and stuff. And I thought all that came across really well. And that's a lot of the high school uh, things that I look for in, in like, you know, portraying high school people on film. So I think they did a good job with him. Yeah. He, again, he is an outsider at this school. A lot of people probably are there because their parents paid for them to be there, right? His parents are super in his life and they're loving, awesome people, it seems like, right? I appreciated, again, just being a Latin person, seeing a lot of this on screen. Not that I'm Afro Latin, FYI, but. I appreciated that he wasn't just like an orphan or something or had come come from a bad home and that's why he was in this school. He says, I won this lottery. I shouldn't even be here. Almost something along those lines. And his dad's like, you passed that test, you know? So the fact that to me that he earned his way into this school and he is an equal among them, despite whatever other people might think, I appreciated that, right? Like it just felt, Mm -hmm. felt refreshing and it felt different. It didn't feel like just woe is me kind of character either he just felt like a kid and and i loved it i wish that was driven home Mm. a little harder Mm. too the idea that maybe he's out of his class system a little maybe is that what you're trying to say is like it's almost like a rich kid school but like he he pat he's got like a scholarship almost kind of thing going on with it so yeah it is that but again i'm also glad that they subverted the trope that he, he, you know, he actually 100% belonged there. Yeah, no, they're going, like, I feel like they do a good job by showing you that, like, yeah, he's not a underprivileged kid from the street, right? Like, he's just, he's a normal kid, like, all shapes and sizes. Like, the movie does a great job of making it very universal on in that sense to say, like, yeah, there's, there's, Miles is totally believable. I can't say enough good things about the Miles character. Honestly, I cannot say enough good things about the Miles character. Speaking of the Miles character, what a high note of when he actually, like... So, he's developing his powers throughout the film. And when he finally kind of becomes the Spider-Man we wanted to become, that uh, sequence, I think the song is called What Up Danger, and he's just fucking owning it. Oh, my God. Like, I... (laughs) Like, that's... One of my favorite, if not my favorite, Spider-Man sequence in all Spider-Man films. I'm just so hyped for that. And when we finally see, like... Because the whole time he's masquerading in that, like, quite literally Halloween Spider-Man costume. Right. And then it turns into that awesome costume you spoke about. Oh, so cool. Yeah, I I loved it. I think it just... oh man like it hits so well and like the music the rest of the music in this movie is insane like the way this starts with like the columbia logo shifting through different multiverses and it's just like ramping up and it sounds like an engine and it sounds like the machine's about to explode and then it just does and it explodes into like this incredible like montage of shapes and sounds and spider-man and everything and then at that moment too there's a great build-up like the filmmaking here is so spot on because like 
the song is building and he's like standing over the ledge and he jumps and he shoots the webs and he swings and i just one of my favorite things is always when spider-man gets like too close to the ground and he has to run for a minute or two on the actual street and then jump up and like keep swinging so yeah very powerful super super impactful awesome Ugh. chef's kiss again if you haven't seen this movie watch the movie and again you mentioned it with the biggie song and the song the soundtrack just feels so fresh. Again, a lot of hip-hop, but just a lot of cool stuff and how it's integrated with the animation. This is just such a different kind of film that I'm used to watching that so hyped right now. Anything else you want to talk about when it comes to the Spider-Verse? I know we're bouncing around, but like... Yeah, no, I mean, I, I not really. I feel like we're going to be back here soon, Brian, because the trailer for Spider-Verse two dropped you know <laughs> yes it's funny we missed the no way home trailer when we were starting off this gig but like at least we caught this who would have known they were going to drop another spider-man trailer in the middle of our retrospective but we caught that one before this recording and you know very excited talk to me about this like i i love this character when i was younger but spider-man 2099 uh, is that it? Now being voiced by Oscar Isaacs, are you aware of him at all? Of Oscar Isaac or Spider-Man 2099? No, no, no. Of of Sp- of Spider-Man 2099. Are you aware of, of him? Have you heard of I, him? I am Do you know anything about familiar him? with the character, just again, because like, I must have had like a Marvel, uh, what do you call it? Or maybe one of my brothers had one of those um, Marvel encyclopedias or something along those lines. So I know a lot mm-hmm. of the Spider-Mans through that. But... Yeah, oh my god, I'm so excited for this because one, I'm a big Oscar Isaac fan. Two, we get in the post credit scene to this Spider-Verse film, we get Oscar Isaac as Spider-Man 2099. Yeah. But it's sort of teased in like it's a comedy thing, you know? Because he goes into... Yeah. He's an explorer of the multiverse and he goes to Spider-Man 1967, which is like the first cartoon, into that meme of like, you, you, you know? <laughs> So it's comedy. I never thought he was coming back, but thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I also don't know if you know this, but Spider-Man 2099's character name is Miguel Miguel O'Hara, and he was born in Nuevo York, the future New York City. So he has also as well, he has, uh, it seems, some Latin roots too. So pre-Miles Morales, uh, Irish-Mexican Descent is the character, so pretty interesting. Perfect to me, perfect to me. Uh, and that's something I actually want to bring up as well in terms of just, um, again, having a characters of color, having representation. It's super important in comics. It's super important on screen. The whole Falcon and Winter Soldier show was sort of about that too. But it's cool to me when it's like appreciatively, like they didn't make Peter Parker Dominican. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. its own unique thing, and I like that so much better. It's just my taste. People could like things differently, but I'm excited to get to know Miguel O'Hara is my point. And how about, have you read a little bit about this, the, the next two Spider-Verse movies? No, was totally shocked to find out that this is going to be a part one of two. Um, I don't know nothing but what I saw in the trailer, which looks like they're flying through the multiverse. I did catch what appears to be maybe some India influence in some of this so maybe he's going to show up the indian spider-man i referenced earlier he might be making an appearance we're going to get him back to back to 2022 and 2023 it's spider-man across the spider-verse part one and spider-man across the spider-verse part two 
Um, I read a little bit since the trailer. Uh, Spider-Woman is going to be in it, but not the Gwen Stacy one, the yellow and red one you were talking about. Oh, cool. Issa Rae is going to play her from uh, Insecure, which is awesome. Oh, sweet. Oh, and Mike, there are rumors, if you will, that the Japanese Spider-Man from 1978 will make his appearance here, so... Oh, <laughs> love to see that. A lot of cool stuff. I can't wait for these. We'll have to cover them here. Maybe Cousin Pumpkin will be available for that one. That's next year's Spider-Man, though. We got to focus a little bit more on this year's Spider-Man. I hope people aren't sick of us talking about Spider-Man because we've done a lot of it. Uh, that's for sure. But <laughs> I've, been ha- I've been having a blast talking Spider-Man. Oh, me too. Me too. I guess, uh, again, looking through my notes... Really emotional ending. Thought it was great. Oh, when the robot Spider-Man dies, that's kind of sad. Yeah. But but he'll get repaired. I think they'll build another one. Yeah, he'll get repaired. (laughs) So uh, let's then go straight to our questions. Sweet. I think there's a good one for today. Who is this movie made for? Oh, man. I think it's made for all of us, right? Uh, the, The art lover we didn't know we were, maybe, or that we wanted to be. Like, I genuinely feel like this movie, in a lot of ways, is saying, look, there's like this huge world of art and influence out there that hasn't been, that's been barely touched. Like, someone mentions Banksy in the movie. Yeah. Right? Like, I feel that's part of the point. It's like, oh, it looks like a Banksy. And like, (laughs) you know, for that kind of art to be mainstream says says kind of a lot about this generation and so i think like part of it is for people to sort of start looking at things a little bit differently and it's like to open your eyes a little bit and to use spider-man as a conduit to that is tapping directly into your like sort of good nature okay like that's what spider-man represents to me is his good nature and like his will and intention and you know like in this movie he always gets back up and keep trying and like, I just think that, you know, for me, I think that was just, like, great. Like, that was just such a breath of fresh air to be like, oh, I love seeing stuff that I like that isn't well portrayed or has never been portrayed. Or you have to really go to outsider art to find. Because that's kind of what this movie is. It is just, like, a mainstream representation of, like, outsider art gone, like, completely haywire oh. and in full motion. And, like, there's nothing more beautiful than that, really. So... I want to believe that they made this for everybody and yeah. And it was just a gift to be like, there's this other level now that like you can be comfortable thinking and, and just open your mind and expand and like everything will be better. Well said, well said other things I'll add to that really for quadrant movie, as you said, really made for everyone. Also though, I think it's made for the haters, right? Like people who Mm. don't necessarily think they'd be into Spider-Man or we'll say animated Spider-Man, or even just like this multiverse kind of stuff. Like, this is a movie that proves the haters wrong. So I'm going to put the haters in this category as well. <laughs> it's it's in on the joke, right? Like, uh, I recently watched the a- HBO documentary about um, Kenny G. Oh. And Kenny G at one time mentions, like, he gets that he gets himself like he gets it like he knows like he can't cut his hair like he and he's cool with that like he plays into that and he's fine with it and it's better to sort of embrace it right than be mad about it or anything like that and so i feel like that's sort of where this movie's coming from is embracing every kind of corner of spider-man from the from the corny 
to the really kind of sappy. And it all really uh, comes out well, I think, when they put it together like this. By the way, that Kenny G documentary, awesome. But yes, I 100% agree with that. (laughs) All right, who won the movie? Most likely to succeed. Which character comes out on top at the end of this film? I mean, as much as I want to say, Miles, I hope Peter B. Parker's going back in there, fixing that relationship and having that kid and and just, you know... I think he's changed the most by way of him changing Miles, but ultimately Miles comes out on top, right? Like he is now Spider-Man. Like it is legit. He has been sort of like knighted Spider-Man of his universe. I wrote Miles down, but I think you sold me on Peter B. Parker. (laughs) I had so much emotion watching this film. When they're in like the banquet for Spider-Man and he sees that version of Mary Jane and he wants to apologize to her, but he's apologizing about bread. First of all, Kyle, if you're listening, foodie scene. But oh my god, yeah. so <laughs> emotional. I'm like, oh my goodness, right? And then when at the he's like, at the end, we see him bring flowers to her, and she seems receptive to it. I how am I rooting for Peter B. Parker this much? I don't know, but I was thinking about that all today. So I, I'm I'm saying Peter B. Parker won the movie. <laughs> There's something lovely like this happens. In Karate, like, this is going to sound crazy, but something like this happens in Karate Kid, and I feel like this is, like, the true kind of, like, snake eating its tail, like, the the full completion of the cycle where it's, like, you have this mentor-student, this student-master relationship, okay? But in the process, the student ends up teaching the master what they need to know as well, right? And so, like, in the context of Karate Kid, like, you find out that Miyagi lost his wife and child, and that he kind of has adopted Daniel to be his surrogate son. And it's like he has found what he needed in Daniel when Daniel found what he needed in Miyagi. And it's, and it's sort of the same relationship here where, like, Peter B. Parker becomes a fucking father <laughs> figure <laughs> to Miles. And then he realizes, holy shit, I can be a dad. Like, uh, and Miles has turned out great, you know? And he's like, I pushed this kid on the right path. It's going to be all right. And so I just love when when that happened you know i feel like it's only half of the equation when like the mentor doesn't also learn something from the student so it's good to see that here and actually um when i was researching the film they really did base peter p parker's relationship with miles off uh mr miyagi so oh did i think you hit the nail on the head i had no idea i (laughs) yeah i mean first i read that and i thought it was more of like an obvious thing like okay you know mentor whatever but at the end of our school year, sorry, one of our yearbook awards is the Han Lu Memorial Mentor Award, even though Han's alive again, but whatever. Um, and <laughs> Peter B. Parker, definitely going to get a nomination here. So bravo, bravo. Yeah. Uh, Wooderson Award, is right. there a character in the film who you would have liked to have seen more of? I mean, yeah, clearly Spider-Man Noir. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to see a lot more of that guy. Yeah, you're, you're OG Cage Club so yeah like those roots are so deep brian like they <laughs> i'm not saying they're deeper than spider-man roots or anything like that but they're gaining <laughs> i'll agree with you there spider noir i mean there are a lot of great characters in the film but yeah Let, let's let's go with cage long duck dong award it's their character whose omission would make the film better I mean, I think the film goes out of its way in terms of the original Long Duck Dong definition to be inclusive. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So yeah. anything you would delete from the film in any way? Well, I guess I wouldn't I wouldn't 
it's hard to say it would delete it. I mean, maybe this would also go into a character I'd like to see more of, but they use Tombstone in this as just sort of like a generic henchman, oh, like my. they don't exploit him properly. Okay, and it's like, what the fuck was that? Like, why even use? Why even have him if you're not going to use him? And even in the fight, they have like that great new version of Scorpion, right? Who speaks Spanish and and he's even translated on screen. Like, what are you doing with Tombstone in this movie? Like, just get rid of him if you're not going to do him justice. Mike, honestly, I was actually made a note to ask you, and I, I forgot to actually read out loud. Who was that guy? Like, the, I didn't. I don't know who Tombstone is, and the fact that like. <laughs> They really weren't highlighting him at all. Very confused. Yeah, yeah. He's a big big time Spider-Man character, mob boss type New York based villain. I mean, he comes up a lot in that cartoon eventually, I believe. Oh but, my uh, god, you know, I just didn't, like, the way they animated him here, I didn't realize that was the same person. Right, right? Like, he should be so much bigger and imposing, and he's like a kingpin character. Yeah. Himself. Oh, I so, okay. Wow. Right? Yeah. Gotcha. I thought he might have <laughs> yeah. been like a, a so, take on Morbius, but mm, you, mm-hmm. no, like that. I could see that. But when you say he's Tombstone, he's that. Wow. Okay. So, so I'm with you. Yeah. Do do Tombstone better, animators or even <laughs> whoever's behind the film. Do Tombstone better. I agree. It makes me wonder if at some point it was Tombstone instead of Kingpin, and they were just like he's not. They just he's even if Kingpin isn't that well known, he's more well known than Tombstone and is yeah, you know, like that's the way it feels. It feels like it would have been one or the other to me and to just kinda of keep him hanging around might have been like, All right, well at least he's in the movie somewhere kinda of. Yeah, that's that's a crazy call. I'm with you. Cameron Fry Award, we're gonna delete that. They're animated, so if someone said they'd look too old to be a high schooler, you're just criticizing an animator's vision. That's dumb. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so let's skip Let's skip to the grading, Mike, handing you oh, yeah. a spider pen, giving you right. the, the uh, manila card for the report card, A plus to F scale, cheat sheet though, and we know the critics and audience love this film, Rotten Tomatoes, 97% by critics, 93% by the audience, 4.4 out of 5 on Letterboxd, it's one of the highest scores I've ever seen, but Mike, maybe, maybe you've been... I don't know, leading me in a different direction. Maybe it's a sleight of hand or something. Because we're going to throw those grades out, and I want to know your actual honest Spidey grade here. A plus to F scale. What will you grade the film? Well, Brian, I wish I could, you know, create more tension in this moment, but I just can't. I'm with everybody else. I'm on I'm on that side. I just I I love this movie. I give it an A plus. You know, to be to be quite honest, there was a time as a child I thought I was going to be in animation growing up. You know, I'd have been drawing my entire life at uh, one point or another. And yeah, like I've always watched Spider-Man cartoons my entire life. Um, always been fascinated with the concept of the multiverse, even in our reality. So like, this is just like the ultimate combination of all of that. And i um, just really glad that uh, I got to bring my nephew to see this in theaters that that i got to see it with one of my best friends joey when it came out like yeah just couldn't have been like a better experience and just loved revisiting it and uh always see something new every time i watch it and just cannot wait to go back to the spider-verse even if it was an a minus for you or a b nicholas cage is in it yeah exactly you know automatically 
a high grade no matter what if he's in it. This is marrying two things that in your free time you've spent <laughs> probably the most hours doing. <laughs> and not not that's not to You know Brian, I I've spent a lot of hours doing this stuff too. That's not a criticism. No, I don't t- hey, I I thank you. Like I I'm glad that's been acknowledged. Um <laughs> something I spent so much time doing has been recognized, but Brian, the only other thing that like goes together as well is a picture you sent me which was of a Ninja Turtle turned into Frankenstein's monster, right? <laughs> like that's between that and Spider Cage, like those that is my universe right there. This is this will only be topped your universe wise, maybe, but when Cage uh what's it called? Isn't he doing the Dracula thing or whatever? Or Exactly. Like Cage is Dracula in the Renfield film, right? My <laughs> Right. Yeah, I could have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> That's your multiverse, really. <laughs> Seriously, worlds are colliding. <laughs> Into the Manziverse. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Manziverse would have like the Universal Monsters, the Turtles, Nicolas Cage, and <laughs> Spider Man in comics, just like all all thrown into one. Oh man. Ooh, ooh. What a visual movie. So I'm very good time. Very <laughs> I'm very curious to hear your take on what your Into the Spider-Verse sleeping bag would look like. Oh, yes. I think it's going to have to be a web of all of their costumes from all the different dimensions kind of cut together, right? Oh. So, like, starting in the middle, it sort of splits out, and so you each get you get a piece of each of their spider, and then as it goes out, it, like, turns into the rest of their costume. Can you picture that? Yeah. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Awesome. Yeah, so, like... You cut out the web and you insert their costume there and keep the line work. Yeah, that'd be cool. I, I love that idea. You kind of took most of my ideas there because I was going to pick one of the costumes. You took all of them. That's fine. Oh, sorry. No, my, I didn't mean to be a hog. My, <laughs> I didn't mean to be a spider hand. <laughs> my sleeping bag is going to be from a, a sale, if you will. And this is one of those sales. What do you call those sales like when a store closes or like a, a restaurant closes? I don't know what they're called. You know what I mean? Like like a flash sale? Like an everything must go business? thing. Okay, yeah. Liquidation. Yeah, a liquidation. Right? <laughs> and it's gonna be it's gonna be something from the liquidation of the restaurant TGI Spideys, which uh <laughs> Oh nice. <laughs> <laughs> well you obviously caught it from your reaction, but uh, one of the investments that Peter that Peter B. Parker does that didn't work out in his world is a restaurant called tgi spideys and it's like a theme a spider-man theme restaurant i love the idea of that i love that it didn't work out and it's depressing so that would have worked out for peter parker because you know he had like the record album the record (laughs) deal the deal with like the ice cream company like he could have made that theme restaurant fly for sure yeah nope but not in peter b parker's world so yeah some leftover tgi spideys sleeping bag from the gift shop there so that's what i'm gonna go with oh man i'm excited mike i'm excited you know why why because you've been setting us with such great picks for our blockbuster question oh shucks. that i i need to hear what you got for us what you have in store for us now that worlds have collided with the spider-verse here <laughs> so we're in the blockbuster mike we know we are renting into the spider-verse but we see a sign when we get to the counter and it says, Rent Your Movies, Get One Free. So I say, Mike, once again, go to the back. Get two other movies that we'll watch on this Into the Spider-Verse trifecta. What two other movies are you going to recommend for our triple feature? All right, Brian. I'm going full animation tonight. We're doing an animated triple feature. Nice. And I'm staying completely on brand. <laughs> First up, 
Well, I think I switched the order last time, but I'm going back. So first up, movie with spider webs and spiders and stuff. We're going with 1973 Charlotte's Web. Ooh. The animated classic. I did not expect that. Are you aware of this one? Of course. Okay. (laughs) They remade it at some point with, like, um, real animals, which is also very good. But we're watching animation tonight so that's my first pick charlotte's web i remember watching that a lot sad a that's kid. a very sad animated film yeah sad but not all the way sad you oh, know like babies. there's some laughs along the way pendleton in the fairgrounds and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> good times as well but that's my first pick what's your next pick okay my next pick i kind of Gave you a little bit of a hint. I send you so many things these days, you know, between shows. I don't know what you remember and what you don't. Uh, but I sent this one a little while back, I think after the last show. This is a little something from 2009 that blew my mind when I saw it. It stars the aforementioned Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Gave me a shot <laughs> just a little minute ago. It's called Turtles Forever. And it's a 2009 animated it's, a, it's an animated film. It's an hour and a half. It was shown on television, but it's a film. And basically, the Ninja Turtles from 2009, the shredder of that world, has opened up a portal into the multiverse. Ooh. And the Ninja Turtles from the 80s have fallen out. And the eight turtles team up, and then the other shredder and Krang show up, and they get kidnapped and abused by the new shredder (laughs) it's hilarious and there's an amazing moment where you see the turtle verse and they track it to turtle prime which is the original eastman and laird comic book and they go to the black and white universe of the ninja turtles and they're like completely badass and they all sound like clint eastwood and they're really hyper violent and it's amazing so like yeah such a good time uh it's like into the turtle verse basically so i have to check this out that's awesome it's available like yeah there's i think there's actually two versions there might be a bit of a longer um european cut for whatever reason i'm not i'm not sure exactly what the story behind that is but uh yeah i uh, i remember taping it off tv and watching it a few times i remember watching it with my nephew yeah track that down it's a lot of fun if you're a fan that sounds awesome. I'm looking it up now. I know you had sent it to me, but I, I didn't really do a deep dive of it. This is and, and didn't get your great explanation. That is amazing. I didn't realize they had done this. This movie needs a lot more love. So thank you. Thank you for recommending it, Mike. Again, Once again, though, I think we've given Spider-Man plenty of love. But that's just going to continue because our next episode, we're watching and then talking far from home. So, Mike, if you don't mind... We're going to go into podcast magic and take a quick break and invite our good friend, the foodie films man on the podcast here. We're going to break down kind of our whole feelings about the whole Spider-Man franchise. We'll do a little bit of rankings and then eventually get into our predictions for Spider-Man far from home. So Mike, let's take a quick break. Well, plans changed. Yes, I did have Kyle come on mike was still here and we did a nice little preview for spider-man no way home but the preview lasted way too long and i know you didn't want a three-hour episode so cut that in half 
That's going to be a little separate nugget of an episode this weekend. I say nugget, but it'll probably be like an hour long. Drop that sometime this weekend. And then on Monday, we'll have our official reaction podcast to Spider-Man No Way Home. We recorded it right after watching it yesterday, opening night. It was so much fun. You're going to love that episode. We want to give you guys a little bit more time to watch the movie. We understand that everyone can watch it right away. So the weekend little preview episode, the pregame, if you will, that'll be spoiler-free because that's what we were contemplating might happen in the movie ahead of time. And we also recap things like Spider-Man 2 and just basically how excited we are. And that's the next episode. But for Monday, your homework will be, if you choose to participate, it will be to watch Spider-Man No Way Home in the theater. Here's the trailer. Ever since I got bit by that spider, I've only had one week where my life has felt normal. That was when you found out. When you botched that spell where you wanted everyone to forget the Peter Parker Spider-Man. We started getting some visitors. every universe. Hello, Peter. You're not Peter Parker. I'm sorry, what was your name again? Dr. Otto Octavius. (laughs) Wait, no, seriously, what's your actual name? There are others out there. We need to send them back. So, Scooby-Doo this crap. You know, all this is kind of your mess. I know a couple of magic words myself, starting with the word please. Please, Scooby-Doo this crap. You're flying out into the darkness to fight ghosts. What do you mean? They all die fighting Spider-Man. It's their fate. I'm sorry, kid. Yeah, me too. Don't. Look, there has to be another way. There isn't. They're a danger to our universe. You're not gonna take this away from me. Peter. You're struggling. Everything you want while the world tries to make you choose. This is all my fault. I can't save everyone. starting to come through and I can't stop them. December 17th exclusively at movie theaters. Tickets on sale November 29th. Spider Monday. Spoiler free right here. Just going to say this. What a fun movie. What a rewarding movie. I laughed. I cried. 
one of my favorite movies to watch in the theater. So rewarding if you've done the Spider-Man series with us. Definitely check it out. Check out our preview episode, as I said, this weekend. Check out our episode on Monday with both Kyle Reinfried and Mike Manzi, of course. But let's hit the hay. Let's get under those covers. Slip into our sleeping bags and go to bed. Hopefully you're slipped into your Spider-Man pajamas or your Spider-Man sleeping bag. And you're so, so excited for this brand new movie coming out. Let's play a song, though, from this great movie that we just talked about, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That is Post Malone and Sway Lee's Sunflower. Later, dudes. Go. Oh.